I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Inside Sources. I'm your host, Greg Scordis. And I did not just hear that it's supposed to snow on Sunday, so I absolutely forbid snow from coming, um, even though I'm a skier and I like it. Uh, it's just a little bit too early. By the way, we do invite you to weigh in through your uh, conversations at the Utah Community Credit Union text line. Text your comments to 57500. We'll read those over. I've got a few I'm already going to talk about later on. Or you can call in, leave a voicemail. We might read it on the air. Our call-in line is 801-575-7668. So I'm going to go back to my constitutional law days, which was my least favorite class in law school. But Article 1, Section 2 of the United States Constitution mandates that everyone in the country be counted every 10 years. The first census was in 1790. Why? Well, it's about several things. One, distribution of more than $675 billion in federal funds, grants, and supports to states and communities are based on census data. Money is spent on schools, hospitals, roads, public works, and other vital programs, and is in large part based on the population in the given areas. Um, it's about fair representation. Every 10 years, the results of the census are used to reapportion the House of Representatives, determining how many seats each state gets. So your presence counts and your name counts. And it's also about redistricting. Um, each uh, decade census, state officials can redraw the boundaries of congressional and state legislative districts in their states to account for population shift. It's also your civic duty. So I'm hoping people will participate in the census. And we are happy to have participating with us today in our show, Sergio Martinez, the partnership coordinated coordinator for the Regional Census Bureau. Uh, Sergio, we are happy to have you with us this afternoon. Hey, thank you for the opportunity. Um, so tell us, and I think I got this right earlier, citizenship question, on the census or not? On July 2nd, we began printing without a citizenship question. Meaning that you're you're not going to include it in the census? We haven't included it in the printing of our questionnaires. That's right. Um, are there other questions, Sergio, that might be problematic for individuals? And, and I'm sort of playing devil's advocate here, but the administration um, was interested in that question. The Supreme Court shut it down, so I was correct about that. Uh, but there were other questions that were being proposed that uh, could cause problems for individuals who are here in the country, perhaps illegally, and might make them less uh, less uh, really willing to participate in the census. Do you think that there are questions like that on the census this year? We appreciate this route to uh, convey this message to the public. There are only 10 questions in the questionnaire, and they are as basic as your name, and your phone number so that we can verify the information. The citizenship question is not in, in the questionnaire. Um, only nine questions are belong to the, to the first person, and then the tenth question is the one that asks you to, to respond those 
those same questions that you responded for yourself for the rest and remaining people in your family or living with you in your in your housing unit. So what we want the public to understand and and see is that this is the opportunity to have uh, to have an impact for Utah. We are coping. We are trying to cope with with so much growth in the state of Utah. And in order for us to continue to uh, overcome the challenges of growth, we we want to make sure that everyone is counted. And what so, if? Excuse me, Sergio. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. What efforts are being made to make sure that everyone is counted? I mean, how do you do that? Yeah, we have a robust program of what we call CPER. That's the Community Partnership and Engagement Program. And unlike the 2010 uh, census efforts, this one allows us to hire more individuals that are trying to educate from the highest elected officials in the state of Utah to the regular folks on Main Street and other trusted individuals. In addition to that, we are already having all of our efforts online so that people can come over and apply for jobs. At this moment, right now, we we have the 2020census.gov slash jobs website where everyone can go and apply for the jobs that we currently have. In order for us to conduct an accurate count, we need people to conduct it. And this, and this means we need Utahns to do it. We need the local, the local neighborhoods to, to, uh, to be counted by people that live in the neighborhood. We're joined this afternoon by Sergio Martinez, Partnership Coordinator for the Census Bureau, the Regional Census Bureau. He talked about um, how we've done things differently than uh, 2010, and now we're coming up on 2020. But you just addressed something I hadn't thought about, and that is the census takers. Um, how many individuals do you think it's going to take to get this job done? And do we just hire them for this specific, very limited purpose? Uh, and this is the first time we're doing everything online. So it'll, it'll basically, uh, we will basically hire according to the results that we have. But approximately what we are estimating is between 1,500 per ACO. That's an area census office. And we have two in the state of Utah, one in Salt Lake City and another one in Oren. So if you want to uh, get a ballpark of approximately, uh, the number of employees that we will have higher for the peak operations, it will be uh, on the ballpark of 3,000 to 3,500 people. That depends on the results of response. And uh, when is this census supposed to start? I notice it's 2020, but do we have a start date? Do we know when we're going to start going door to door? Yeah, sure. Um, we need uh, everyone to apply right now so that we can be ready for that time. But the portal online will open on March 12th, and it will stay open all the way until the uh, end of July. Uh, if you are going on a Pioneer's uh, celebration on July 24th, 2020, you already, uh, you already should be thinking that you were really feeling happy for filling up your census questionnaire. <laughs> You're you're an advocate for this. Um, so tell me, uh, Sergio, how can a person feel secure in in giving information, being open and honest, without uh, fear of that information coming out? I mean, what's the what's the level of privacy that a person can expect when they answer these ten questions? Uh, Title thirteen of the U.S. Constitution protects the confidentiality of the data that we collect. Everyone that that is hired as a census employee takes an oath 
to protect that confidentiality. Our reputation since 1790 relies on making sure that these information that we collect, that we process, and that we store stays confidential for up to 70, for 72 years. It is how Ancestry.com and all of, and all of the genealogical, genealogical um, data that we have through the, uh, through the church here in Utah is how we, how we have access to that information. So the public should be, should be aware that this information is kept confidential for 72 years, and we, and we, and we do not share this information with uh, any other law enforcement agency or any other agency. So your, your advice, Sergio, would be if, if a census taker comes to your house, be open, be honest, and don't be afraid that you're going to s- disclose information my, that could cause you embarrassment. Uh, my, my advice to every Utah, because I am a Utah, and I live right over here in the state, and I've been here for decades, is to self-respond. What we have seen throughout the last four decades is that the, uh, the accuracy of the data is more, is, uh, more likely to be uh, correct when people self-respond. And this time, we, all of us in Utah have the opportunity to fill out the questionnaire online. By the time the census uh, workers come to the, uh, knocking on doors, it's already time for somebody to uh, collect that data. And sometimes, and sometimes that data may not be may not be the best because people are not uh, in their houses or they're they're just concerned about the uh, about the privacy of their data. So the best advice for Utah is to get ahead by filling out the questionnaire in March of 2020. Good advice. Thank you, Sergio. And I hope that. Uh Listeners will f- take some comfort in knowing that this census is valuable, that it gathers incredible information for our state, that there is a high level of privacy, and they will participate in that. Don't go away. When we come back, we're going to be talking with um, folks from the Ben McAdams office about the clean air, air zone issues that have come up and some legislation that he's working on. Stay, w- stay with us. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.